we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. Welcome to another exciting episode of Gratuitous Sex and Violence, the podcast where we look deep into the past of movies and find the true hero of sex and violence within us all. Oh, it's it's within us all? All of us? All well, of us? Yeah, okay, maybe not all of us. Maybe a select few. Okay. As, okay. I don't know. Maybe just like yeah. a certain special people hmm. who deserve the power. Okay, the power of sex and violence. Right. Yeah. Okay, the rest of us, the rest of us, we're, we get schlock. Yeah, schlock, that's fair. Schlocky seconds. <laughs> schlocky seconds, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, my name is Orlando, and I'm joined by my roommate, co-host, and guest, Ned. How's it going, Ned? A lot better now. Yeah? <laughs> now that you've had schlocky seconds. Now that I've had schlocky seconds, I'm, 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 just, I'm just a raring for a, for a movie. All right. Well, we're going to watch another schlock masterpiece today. Great. This one is definitely a schlock masterpiece. Okay. Okay. We're watching... Uh, which is to say you, Bull? No. <laughs> okay, good. U-Ball is like a schlock disaster piece. Okay, good, good. thank goodness. <laughs> and U-Ball, thank goodness. Movie. Just because I, I know he's been, he's been, he's been, or I guess his, his films have been called schlock masterpieces, right? So. Well, I guess he's like a schlock auteur. Okay, there we go. It's yeah. used. They, they use the word masterpiece in ir- in an ironic sense. Okay. I'm not really using it in an ironic sense. Okay, I'm, I'm actually saying like, like if we were, I know that we. In this podcast, we've seen a few sword and sorcery movies already. We saw Deathstalker and the Warrior of the Prince and the Sorcerer. Sorry, the Warrior and the Sorceress. We always have trouble with that title. I know, both of us. It's a weird title. <laughs> um, well, this movie, I would say, is the Citizen Kane of sword and sorcery movies. Fuck yeah! Okay. Because sword and sorcery is a genre that's been around since the 1930s. Believe it or not. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until the 80s where the trend really flirted with mainstream appeal. Okay. And this is the first movie that kicked it all off. We're talking about, of course, Conan the Barbarian. Okay. A 1982 American epic sword and sorcery film directed by John Milius. It was written by Milius and Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone actually wrote the initial screenplay for it. It's based on the character created by Robert E. Howard. He was a 1930s pulp writer who is responsible not only for creating Conan the Barbarian, he also created the works of the characters Cull the Destroyer and Solomon Kane. So he's very well known in the world of like pulpy um, fiction, uh, fantasy, stuff like that. Um, This movie stars Arnold Schwarzenegger. In one of his very early film roles. In fact, this is his breakout performance. Okay. It also stars James Earl Jones. And it tells the story of a young, muscular, barbarian warrior named Conan, who is played, of course, by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who seeks vengeance for the death of his parents at the hands of Thulsa Doom, who is played by James Earl Jones. And he is the leader of a snake cult. That sounds awesome. Have you I ever seen this movie before? I have never seen the movie. 
Um, I know the name. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's I think prominent enough in the pop right. culture gestalt right. that uh, that that one can't really avoid at least some reference to Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um. Uh. But yeah, had no idea that James Earl Jones is in this, so I am even more pumped now. And this is like after Star Wars too. So he, yeah, this is like peak James Earl Jones. Yeah. Like he was he, he was doing a lot of interesting things back then. Exciting. He's a great actor. And uh, yeah, he, uh, it's going to be really interesting to kind of compare this to, because like I said, we've kind of seen movies that, especially with Deathstalker, Deathstalker is really a knockoff of Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. So it would be interesting to compare how this is, uh, um, holds, how this kind of like impacted that or the legacy of this movie. Um, especially because like this film, I feel like, like I said, it, it, it was the first of these big um epic sword and sorcery films to flirt with the mainstream and i feel like this movie was held up as the prime example of the cinematic potential of fantasy until peter jackson's lord of the rings came about okay and then after that now when we when we see fantasy like depicted in film and tv it follows the peter jackson model but before then it always seemed to follow the conan the barbarian model all right. Yeah. Uh, a lot of interesting things in this movie. I want you to like to kind of like think about the themes of this movie too, because that's where we get into a little like maybe problematic territory. Okay. Okay. But it's a lot of fun and it's very schlocky. So are you ready to watch Conan the Barbarian? I am. All right, so we're going to watch this movie. If you guys at home want to watch this movie, it is available to stream uh, for free if you have a subscription to Stars. It's also available with the Stars add-on on Amazon and Hulu. If you do not have Stars, just uh, rent it. It's available on Amazon, a whole bunch of other places, and it's a fun time. So we're going to break and watch this movie, then we're going to come back, play some trivia, and discuss the film at length. We'll see y'all on the other side. Let's get there. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotions. Just sex. And we are back! We just watched... Conan the Barbarian, the 1982 version, not the newest version. Um, first reactions. Okay, so um, I will say credit where credit is due, considering we, uh, f- considering my introduction to this genre of film, <laughs> right, uh, had had some of its more uh, have had some of its schlockier, more low budget, uh, Z level, you know, descendants. <laughs> so um, I. I would say that, like, I definitely see, like, the traits of this genre. It's clear that this Mm -hmm. movie very much sort of, like, codifies, I think, like, that sort of package of tropes in a way. Mm -hmm. And it packages them in a way that's, like, that, like, it has, like, a consistent through line to it. It sort of has, like, a narrative and thematic coherency to it. And... Like, you know, the hero kind of, sort of has an arc. A little bit. Mm-hmm. A little bit of an arc. There's not that much arcing going on in this movie. Right. Because, like, at the end of the day, um, you know, it really is 
pretty much nothing more than just like an uber masculine power fantasy type of movie. Like it's pretty much all about the virtue of strength and that strength alone will triumph over all. Mm -hmm. And there's pretty much nothing that really questions that or challenges that. It's just like, here's the strongest dude. We're going to watch the strongest dude kill some things and fuck some other things. And that's pretty much it. In fact, it's really interesting that you brought that up because uh, Robert E. Howard, uh, who created the Conan the Barbarian character again in the 1930s, he wrote all these short stories um, during the Great Depression. Yeah. Uh, and they're very pulpy, but if you were to specifically narrow down like the genre that he wrote in, it would be heroic fantasy. And heroic fantasy is known for being about these characters that basically never change. And so that's why, that's kind of one of the things that makes them so pulpy is that every 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 story is pretty much formulaic and it's just like Conan arrives somewhere, there's a problem, he fights his way out of the problem. End of story. And so he never has an arc. He's, he's just a hero. Yeah, exactly. And and so like we do see we do get to see a little bit of his like growth, I guess, from a bi- biographical perspective, at least. Yeah, yeah. I would say. Well, I would say like there's there's a bit of a growth in the sense of like I don't know. Like he gets a little bit of faith. He gets a little bit of faith at the end yeah. of the movie. I, I mean, guess the, that's the whole thing. movie is his quest to find out what the riddle of steel is. And he ultimately does kind of find out what it is. Yeah. Except like there's except the thing. is, Yeah. The riddle of steel thing, though, it's like it, it's like it's mentioned a few times mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it's it's conveyed as a thing that he wants. But then, like, not much else really comes of it once it's revealed. It doesn't right. really. I mean, like. The thing is, like, I think that that scene where James Earl Jones' character explains what the, you know, what the riddle of steel is, it's an interesting scene. And, right. Um, and it's compelling in its own right. And and it makes for a good, like, it makes for a good this is why you suck speech from the bad guy. Right, yeah. Um, but there's, there's not much more to it beyond that. It's just kind of, he just kind of, you know... He goes through some tough shit, then he gets some sweet payback. He embraces and, it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He embraces the 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 truth behind the riddle. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, or, or I guess, or or maybe uh, I don't know. It's it's a weird one because it's like, yeah, again, the whole idea that it's like no flesh is stronger, and that he's he's built an army out of flesh and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But it's like, well, now at the end of the day. Conan still failed you, right? Yeah, yeah. Conan at the end of the day still beats the shit out of him, mm-hmm. and so it's like, well, is it the flesh that triumphed, or is it just I don't know? So it it starts to fall apart the more you pick at it, which is like I think the case with but movies that like is, this. But, but I think, but I think that is, uh, I mean, that's that's Thulsa Doom's answer to yeah. the riddle, but maybe not necessarily the the real answer. To well, the yeah, riddle, exactly. You know, yeah. Um, so... But I do think that's a great scene, though. I mean, any of the scenes with James Earl Jones, and we'll talk about him a little bit later, but uh, I think any of the scenes with James Earl Jones in this movie are are pretty great overall. Yeah, that's a thing. Again, I think, like, um, I, I would say that, like, considering how little he's in the movie, it doesn't rise quite to the same level as, uh, you know, that, that great performance in uh, Masters of the Universe. Skeletor, yeah. Um, as Frank Skeletor. Langella. Yeah, yeah, it's it's... 
Yeah, well, it, purely, I think, though, because, like, he he just doesn't have enough time in the film. No, but it's, it's like the few moments that he has in the film, he's just, like, so arresting and, like, just has that amazing presence. Right. Um, he is very, very good. In yeah. The and, and, like, in a way that, like, even though he does have that, like, you know, that amazing voice as ever, mm-hmm. like, he still manages to carry himself in a way that totally contrasts, like, his character from, like, the Darth Vader thing. Oh, and, yeah. Absolutely. And all that. Um, it's a different so, type of evil, for yeah, sure. Yeah, completely different type of, of villain that that he taps into really well. James Earl Jones is a it, phenomenal actor. He is actor. a phenomenal actor. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's interesting that you brought up the Skeletor thing, because in the original stories... Now, Fulsa Doom... Uh, they did do a little bit of um, mixing up with the lore as far as Robert E. Howard's actual stories because Thulsa Doom was never a Conan the Barbarian villain. He was a, bar- a, a villain for the Call the Conqueror series of stories. Okay. But in the stories, he's described as having a skeleton face. Oh. So he's very much like a Skeletor type figure in the books, in the literature. Interesting. Okay, yeah. that's interesting. A little and, overlap uh, there. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a second. But first, we're going to play some Conan the Barbarian trivia. Mm-hmm. Do you think that you can conquer the trivia? I've got my steel, so uh, we'll uh, we'll see how You've far got it your gets. father's sword. It, it, it will see how far it gets me. Now, as always, this is going to be five questions plus a bonus. The questions go in order from least difficult to most difficult. Um, And the bonus will stray a little bit from the world of this film, and it's more about filmmaking in general. Um, The grand prize is bragging rights. Mm -hmm, As ever. Are you ready for question number one? Bring it on. We're starting you nice and easy. What is the name of Conan's god? Crumb. Crumb. Crom, as he Crumb. says several times. <laughs> now, how is it spelled? C R O M. Okay, cool. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I kept thinking C R U M B. Yeah, crumb. Like with every mention I mean, of it. Cause, cause he, so I kept having to like readjust in my mind. Like, nope, they're talking about the god. They're so, talking about a god thing. I mean, he is like an earth god, so I guess it could be like, like crumb yeah, as in like crumble. That's, or, that's what I'm wondering. Yeah, yeah. like crumble and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Like that's that's what that name evokes for me. So. There's a there's a lot of uh, religious imagery in this movie. A lot of pagan religious religious imagery, but there's still a lot of like yeah. like you know like the cult crucifixion thing. There seems to be. Um, a trope also in the film about resurrection and rebirth. Like, they go into underground spaces a lot and emerge from them, kind of like going into tombs and emerging from them. Um, Conan seems to die and resurrect. And even uh, Valeria, even though she dies, she does come back at the end to to help him out. So there seems to be like a a theme of death and resurrection. Yeah, a little bit. And and also because I think like there, I, I noticed that alongside like the the recurring theme of also like um, sort of enslavement and liberation as yeah. well, like mm-hmm. both in terms of like Conan personally, right. uh, and then like the the religious followers of, uh-huh. of the Thulsa princess Thulsa Dune at the end of right. the movie. So uh, so yeah, breaking free breaking from those free chains of the chains, yeah, the uh, literal and the metaphorical chains. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to question number two. What kind of animal does Conan punch and cause to fall over? punches a camel. He punches a camel! In the face. Because, you know, 
and and it was like them just literally stumbling drunk out of a tavern right. or something. Right? Or high, they were chewing on that thing that the ah, guys gave him. Okay, right. Cool. They were like tripping out on something. Dope. Um, that's a bad trip for you. If it ends with punching a camel mm. unconscious, like that's that's a somewhat of a cinematic trope, right? There's like a uh, quite a few movies where like a big hero like punches a horse usually, uh, like in Blazing Saddles, Mongo punches a horse. Okay. Uh, and and I, I feel like that that's a pretty common comic yeah. like common joke yeah is it, is it is it like is it like always the muscular hero is that what it is it's like a big mongo is a pretty big guy in okay. blazing saddles yeah okay and cool. i i think if i remember correctly i'm pretty sure john wayne does it in a movie like he punches a horse Ooh, I, I, I don't know this one like I, I i i don't know i feel like the 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 imagery of punching a horse in the face like does evoke something vaguely familiar. But if you guys know of which movie it was that John Wayne punches a horse, you could let us know on GSV Pod on yeah. Twitter because I have no idea what. But I but I think in, I have in, that image in my brain. In fact, really for this episode, if if we could just get like a whole response chain of <laughs> gifts of horses getting punched yeah. in the face. What um, other movies do animals get punched in the face? Yeah, or, yeah or or big big animals. Let's start a thread at GSV Pod. Yeah. From film, from film, from not film, not actual. Yeah, don't, don't submit. Don't, we don't like videos. That. We yeah. don't like that. Do not commit animal cruelty. Don't want the ASPCA on us. Speaking anything. of animal cruelty, the use of live animals in this film was controversial. Now, I, you even mentioned yes. that the stunts involving the horses were—they were, they were re, yeah, they, they were, were really rough. fucking dicey. I was like not feeling good about a lot of those horse tumbles that we saw. The so. uh, American Humane Association, the overseeing or- organization for humane treatment of animals on the sets of Hollywood films, noted that there were several incidents of uh, such as a dog being kicked, uh, camel struck, and multiple horses tripped. So animals were in fact harmed during the making of this film. And uh, regarding the the dogs specifically, it's interesting. So at about 25 minutes into the film, there's there's the the, the chase scene where Arnold's uh, or Conan's just been set free and, yeah, he's, and he's running away the dogs, from yeah. the dogs. Um, and John Milius, the director, says that those dogs that were used in the film were actually pretty unfriendly and dangerous. So he goes on to say that, um, quote, when you had the dogs chasing Arnold Schwarzenegger and he's running, he's actually running for his life because he knew those dogs were very dangerous. They had even attract, attacked their trainer. Oh, <laughs> I mean, that just... <laughs> so they're just that's playing... Just a, that, I mean, that's just such a... Oh, that's such a bad thing on so many levels. Like, <laughs> like I mean, A, just like... I feel awful for those dogs that mm. they're in that situation. And then, like, you're fucking endangering your actors, too. Yeah. Like, if the trainer couldn't keep on... Yeah, that's that's pretty fucking negligent. Yeah, um, the subsequent scene when he, like, stumbles into the tomb and falls down, Arnold ended up hurting his back and actually bleeding in that scene. Oof. But it worked for the scene, so Milius kept it and in the shot and, like, told him to keep going. They filmed the rest of it <laughs> with him, with actual Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger blood. I mean, it's it's no Aragorn kicking a helmet, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it'll do for enforced method acting. All right, you're doing great. You got two out of two so far. Let's go to question number three. Indeed. How long has Thulsa Doom claimed to have lived? For a thousand years. I've lived for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the snake cult of Thulsa Doom is modeled after the Flagellants, which was a cult that arose in Germany at the time of the Black Plague in the 14th century. Mm-hmm. They were they wore similar they wore similar 
white robes and some uh, whipped themselves, which is why they're called flagellants. Yeah. Uh, the onset snake trainers associated with the cult. There's a lot of snakes in this movie. A lot of snake yeah. handling. Yeah. And there were onset snake wrangler, snake trainer, um, and the assistants to the snake trainer apparently were all beautiful women. They were not in the movie. We didn't see them. They weren't part of the women in the movie. They were just. You know, helping out the trainer. They were his yeah. assistants. But apparently they were so beautiful that John Milius says that he was actually sort of like a real life false doom, the snake trainer. Okay, sure. I guess. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Whatever whatever you need to get some joy out of your process, I guess. Like <laughs> There was actually an ancient god called Set, which was a snake god. What did you think about the imagery of snakes in this film? Um, I mean, I, well, I, I mean, as far as like the imagery of snakes, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty well trod trope of mm-hmm. like, you know, the snakes bad is like, you know, as, as being the symbol of a villain like or, even, of, even or of a cult or I know, you, I know you're not familiar, house. I know you're not familiar with the cartoon as much, but, um, but Skeletor in the He-Man universe lives on Snake Mountain. Yeah, exactly. So stuff like that. Um, I think, like, as far as like the 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 cults themselves. Um, I mean, certainly, uh, we we sort of saw a lot of the tropes played out as mm-hmm. far as like you know, kind of the similar you know sort of disposability of women um, mm. and and whatnot. Uh, and yeah, it's it's pretty pretty well trod pretty well trod territory as far as like the. The symbol of the snakes. Um, I do think it was interesting how they, um, how they made a point of sort of casting this cult as like a cult of deceivers and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and um, and uh, sort of hinting at Thulsa Dune's like hypnotic powers. Yeah, um, I mean, he and, was a wizard. And, yeah, and and one and and because there is that kind of um, uh, the the only concrete example of this trope I can remember is um, from the Disney cartoon of the Jungle Book, but mm-hmm. like the snake in that has like hypnotic no, just, abil- yeah. abilities. Right. And right. and so I, I just just on that alone, like that first scene where Thulsa Dune like approaches Conan's mother and sort of has that like mm. arresting gaze uh, on her that like makes right. her lower her sword before he kills her. Yeah. And so it was like, so, so it was definitely tapping very directly into that kind of trope of like the hypnotic snake mm-hmm. thing so um uh or i guess i don't know if that's like derived from like a snake charmer type thing right it's kind of like, it's kinda like, like snakes, a reversal of a snake charmer it goes like, back to the garden of eden thing right like the the snake in the garden of eden like sort of like hypnotizes eve and makes yeah. her eat the fruit so i think that, oh, that that is part of the snakes they're they have like that connection. yeah that duplicitous right sort of uh so yeah i think it's 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 a it's a fitting backdrop for your uh run-of-the-mill evil Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And it's, uh, it seems to like also kind of be modeled. I mean, this was in the 80s, but the way that they kind of worked it out a little bit kind of gives me a feel for a lot of like modern day um, cults or alternative religions, whatever you, they want to call it. Um, new religious movements, I think is the appropriate term now. Um, but like, you know, like some of the more dangerous ones, like uh, like the uh, the People's Temple with Jim Jones and like, you know, they all drank the Kool-Aid uh, 
for his behest. And at the end, like we kind of saw that they were gearing up, like yeah, so like a mass like, suicide, right? A thing, mass yeah. suicide thing. Um, so that was pretty interesting to me too that they kind of like brought. Yeah, that into yeah. It. I mean, yeah, that was that was interesting to include that. Um, yeah. All right. Here comes question number four. You're doing great so far. Yeah. Surprisingly. Why, why, man, you know, not surprisingly, you're always great. Um, here we go. Question number four. Why does Subutai cry at Valeria's pyre? Oh, boy. He cries because, I, I forget what his exact phrasing was, but, but Conan is just too much man to cry, so he <laughs> cries for him, is the basic gist. Correct, because Conan, as a Cimmerian, cannot cry. Ah, okay. So that's what it was. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't catch that bit that I guess it's Sumerians that can't cry. Right, it's a part of his people, mm. you know. Okay. I mean, they again... They don't display emotion. <laughs> I mean, again, as far as, like, the idea of, like, the masculine power fantasy, mm -hmm. like, um, I mean, like, just, I mean... Not for nothing, I mean, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a huge fucking dude, but, right. like, there's a gravitational way that, like, everything in the movie revolves around Conan, Oh, yeah, you know? absolutely. I mean, so, like, yeah, yeah I just, I, I, was, I was really thinking of that quote, like, from him about, you know, that I cried for Conan because of just, like, of course, yeah, you got a sidekick who does your crying right. for you. Um... You know the uh, what, what's her name Valeria. 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 She's she's the only competent person in the group, <laughs> but like even she, she's her, a smart her one for sure. Arc is 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 revolving around Conan as well. So it's right. just like yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I, overall, I do like Subutai as a character. I think, like, it's interesting because we, when we watched Deathstalker, we were kind of talking about Osiric and, and Deathstalker and their relationship that was sort of set up to be, like, a buddy relationship, but then it didn't. And I think, like, in this movie, that's what we get. Like, they're kind of, like, you know, pals and buddies. Yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate the sense of camaraderie in this one. And, and, and also, like, I, you know, I think there's definitely more to talk about. I know we definitely want to get into the theming of the mm -hmm. movie and, like, what it's saying. And, and certainly, like, the fact that um, Conan's father says to him at the very beginning of the film, like, you can't trust man or woman right. or anything like that. Just you can only trust steel. Mm -hmm. So, like, I appreciate that the movie isn't quite so bleak in that way. Yeah, and that, like, yeah. you know, Conan does have, like, trustworthy people. Right. Um, it would have been nice if maybe the film you know, folded that into something of an arc for him. That, right. he, that he comes to realize that he can't do the thing alone. That flesh Because that's how it actually plays out. Like, like if he, he realized that flesh is powerful, but not the way that Tulsa Doom sees flesh. Exactly, right. yeah, that kind of thing. Like, I think there was, there was room to kind of take it to that level. Mm -hmm. um, and especially considering, like, he does go lone wolf and... A lot, almost actually. Fucking, almost <laughs> fucking die, dies by crucifixion. Right. So, like... You know, yeah, it goes lone wolf twice in the movie. Yeah, twice, really. Um, so no, I agree with you. Um, now, in the context of what we see in the movie and who who Conan is as a character, I do think that it that Subutai's line is quite touching, and it does and yeah, it does yeah, endear no. Subutai, I think, to me as as the viewer. I'm like, oh, that's actually kind of sweet. Yeah, yeah, no, well, and also I think it's like it, you know, while it while it doesn't have the same. Well, it doesn't have the same, like, sort of, um, 
masculine vulnerability that I think Lord of the Rings does really right. well at because there's a lot of like tenderness in that movie yeah, that I think is, is a very great you know blueprint for non-toxic masculinity. Right. Um, so Conan doesn't quite go to those legs, but mm. I do agree with you that you know while I found that line, oh god, like you know <laughs> it, it is sweet. It is a sweet sentiment, mm-hmm. and uh, so so yeah and. So yeah, this movie does have a lot of great moments. I would there, say. Yeah, it has a lot of potential, and there's a lot yeah. of and there is a lot of depth when you like look, like peer beneath the surface, especially because this is definitely I wouldn't say an A movie by any means, especially no, not at all. It's especially so because like Schwarzenegger was just starting out like its career. Yeah, but it's not a Z level film either. It's like definitely like a solid B film for sure, for sure. Um, now it's interesting to note about Subutai, Jerry Lopez, who played Subutai. Um, he actually had very little acting experience. He was a championship surfer. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> His only notable previous film role was playing himself in the film Big Wednesday, which is also directed by John Milius. And uh, I guess he had like a heavy like surfer California accent because they ended up overdubbing him with an experienced stage actor. So oh. he doesn't actually use his voice in the film. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was wondering... There was something a little lost in translation. I was wondering if, like, there was a kind of a brown face situation going on with Subatai's character mm-hmm. because he's Hispanic. There seemed, he's because Latino. He's Latinx. Well, well, that's the thing. Like, yeah, he's 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 Latinx, and like, but like the Subatai has like kind of a an Asian right and, I, and ring I think, to it. And 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 I think and the and voice was, actor was definitely of Asian descent. Well, that's what. Well, that was the thing. Was that like there was something in the way the dialogue sort of landed that mm-hmm. made me go like, is this is this like a, a white actor who's like <laughs> leaning been, a little honestly. too heavily into it? So like, yeah, I wasn't too sure. Like, But what, I do appreciate that on. it was a Latinx actor in the role. Yeah. And uh, and I mean, he kind of lo- had that Mongolian kind of look to it. Not to me, for me, I'm not trying to be stereotypical myself, but <laughs> but I'm just saying like, it, it could, I could foreseeably see him as like an Asian type of character i don't know yeah yeah that's yeah but um but yeah he was a california dude (laughs) surfer well super cool okay super chill uh here comes question number five all right we're getting let's see if you have a perfect score Um, let me not jinx you this is the hardest question because you have to remember the exact line oh fuck okay well let's let's do it this happens pretty early in the movie oh fuck what is best in life Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> to crush your enemies. Uh-huh. To, 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 to crush your enemies, to see them tremble before you, and to hear the lamentations of their women. Oh, my God, you're so close. To, but you're really close. I'm, I almost want to give wait, it to wait, you. Wait, 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 wait. To crush, wait. To crush your enemies, mm-hmm. to see the, to see... You just missed one word in the whole thing. To see them flee before you and to hear the lamentations close, of their women. So close. So close. Okay. Uh, you, you, all right. you, you give me the answer uh, and, and we'll cooperatively decide whether I should get credit or not. <laughs> to crush your enemies, see them driven before you, 
And to hear the lamentation of the women. Oh, see them driven before you. Yeah. Mm, yeah, tremble, tremble. I would say, don't give me credit for that. And then flee was my second guess. So. But you came so close. You should be proud of like remembering most of it. Honestly. Let's say like, let's say like half credit. <laughs> we'll, we'll say half credit. Because that I was. I thought word. that was pretty hard. I don't know if I would have remembered that whole quote. I've one, well, and I've heard that line before too. Like that, that line I think is probably the thing that that survives the most in the pop cultural discussion. It's also a real quote that's attributed to Genghis Khan. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So I probably would have heard it right. in, in either context. Right. It's of, probably it's just yeah. out there, this yeah. quote. Um, now, interesting thing about that quote, it happens around 24 minutes into the movie as Conan's response to the Mongol general's question. And it's the first line of dialogue that Arnold Schwarzenegger has in the film. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I did not note that, and yeah. that's um, that's that's a very specific choice. He actually doesn't speak a lot in this movie, which I guess they chose to do that because of his accent difficulties at the time. He he had to work with a coach to get his dialect um, in check, so I think they were limiting a lot of his dialogue. And in fact, his last piece of dialogue is his prayer to Krom. Uh, in the final battle, yeah. and then that the rest of the sequence until the end of the movie, he doesn't say anything. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, he really doesn't talk mm -hmm. very much at all in the movie, and um, yeah, I mean, and and again, that makes sense in a way because, like, you know, again, his character is meant to be a quote unquote barbarian, right? So you know, not you know, he's he's a man of action. And but all that stuff. I will say this: in the original uh, Robert E. Howard stories. Conan was way more intellectual than he's portrayed in this movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, so I think I I don't know. I think I think because has... like he because when he does go train with the with the Mongolian troop, that's like you know they 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 give him access to books, too. right? They he does learn and, mm -hmm. and read and, and to like fight that, so. stock. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I I really feel like it was a decision made um, because of. Arnold's um, problem with the, with the language. I'm just what I'm guessing. However, I think it it works for the context of what this movie is. I feel yeah, like no, definitely. he's I the mean, strong, silent type. Yeah, kind of character. yeah, and and you know, yeah, that, that makes sense. And and for him to even have an accent, I think kind of works for the character too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's go to the bonus now. You, I mean, you you pretty much got it all I, except I for that one word. Yeah, except for that. Yeah, except for that half point there. So, so the bonus is a two part bonus. Okay? okay, we'll lap up some. We'll lap up some of that bonus. Now, Thulsa Doom has two lieutenants that were actually played by professional athletes. Uh, one of them was Sven Ole Thorsen. He's the guy who he's clean shaven. Okay. of the two, um, with the hammer, with the huge hammer. Okay, um, he was a bodybuilder. Uh, and then the other one, Ben Davison, was an American uh, football player. Okay. Now, Sven Ole Thorsen was actually in this movie per Arnold Schwarzenegger's recommendation because Arnold was a bodybuilder as well, so they met on the circuit. They were pretty good friends, and Arnold recommended him for the movie. And he played the character uh, of Thorgrim is his name. Thorgrim. Now... Sven Ole Thorsen actually went on to work with Arnold Schwarzenegger quite a bit. Um, so here is the first of your two-part questions is, if you can guess how many other films did Sven Ole Thorsen appear in with Arnold Schwarzenegger? And then the second part of the question would be, can you name at least four of them? Oh. Or just four of them. Not at least, just four of them. Oh... 
So just give me a guess for the number and then name four other films that they wow. were in together. Well, I'm, I'm certainly not going to guess less than four, so I do appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, that little bit of help there. I did say at least, but you don't have to name more, just four. <laughs> That's our podcast, folks. Um, it's just me trying to figure out what fucking movie Sven was in. Um, uh, okay, I'm going to say... Uh, uh, for firstly, just a clarifying question: mm-hmm. When you say he worked with Arnold in in these different movies, he was he was wh- in them was either he... as an actor, stuntman, or both. Okay, that was going to be my mm-hmm. question. I wasn't sure if maybe he like worked as Schwarzenegger's stunt double. Or in some like of them, that. he was just a stuntman, not necessarily his stuntman, but a stuntman. All right. However, cool. in some of them, he was an actor, and in some of them, he played both. He was okay, both. Interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah, cause I'm trying to I'm trying to remember the face. The face looks vaguely familiar. Uh, I am going to say he was in 10 movies. That's a good guess. Okay, cool. Great. The answer was 14. Damn. He was in 14 films with Arnold Schwarzenegger. So there's the 10 movies, but then I'm going to name the four <laughs> additional movies in my second part of the question. You got to name that, four. <laughs> yeah. Um, Arnold's got um, a bunch of movies you can pick from. Okay. Um, I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, Okay. I'm going to say Terminator and Terminator 2. I'm going to guess that he probably helped out with some of the stunt work in those movies. I'm going to say... I don't know. At this point, I'm just going to pick random Arnold Schwarzenegger (laughs) movies. Um, Ooh, uh, I'm going to say... Oh, fuck. What's the movie? Total Recall. Got one more. <laughs> uh, and then I guess for this last one, uh, ooh, okay, uh, uh, Last Action Hero, because I feel like that movie has so many film in jokes. I'm sure that him, he, he must be there in like a sight gag or something. Um, so yeah, Last Action Hero, Terminators One and Two, and uh, Total Recall. All right, pretty good guesses. Let's see if you're right. I'm gonna name all of the movies now. Okay, Let's see cool. if the films that uh, you named yes. are in them. Okay. He was in Conan the Barbarian, which we just saw. He was in Conan the Destroyer. I probably should. <laughs> that probably would have been a smart play. Like, he has a working relationship with the fucking production team. Right. So I don't know why I didn't fucking mention that. But okay, whatever. Let's keep going. And also Red Sonja. Uh, he was in Raw Deal. Okay. He was in Predator, The Running Man, Red Heat, Twins, Total Recall. Okay. That was one of yours. Terminator 2. Okay. You got that one. Last Action Hero. Okay. You got great. that one. Eraser, Jingle All the Way, Batman and Robin, End of Days, Collateral Damage, and The Rundown. <laughs> the only one he was not in that you mentioned was the first Terminator. Oh, man. And you know some... Well... I still wouldn't have. I still would have only gotten three out of four because I was uh, because for the last action hero slot, I was also thinking either kindergarten cop or twins. Right, but, but that twins was me but anyway. twins was one of the answers. But yeah, that's uh, that's wild. Um, yeah, if I just swapped out Terminator One for <laughs> twins or for Batman and got, Robin or for Batman and Robin, <laughs> who was he in Batman and Robin? 
god. Probably one of like the ice skate oh thugs or god, something. Oh my god, probably. Yeah, yeah, there were a few really huge dudes in his gang, yeah, so there um, were. that probably would have happened. Um, All right, so you didn't do half bad in that either. You did pick uh, three I'll movies. T- I'll say like two half. I'll, I'll say like half credit for question five, half credit for the bonus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's let's do that. So you, you you got some solid bragging rights from that quiz. I'm I think. okay with that. I'm I'm comfortable with right, that. Let's talk a little bit more about the movie now. The first thing that I want to mention is the operatic influences in the film. In fact, John Milius has talked about how he basically directed this as if it were an opera. Okay. Uh, in fact, there's like several connections between this and the way the, the cinematic story plays out with uh, with uh, Richard Wagner's The Ring. Um, the Siegfried, the character, the hero of The Ring, uh, kind of goes through the same kind of arc. You know, the, it has an opening sequence involving a sword forging scene. Uh, the hero witnesses his parents' death. He grows up as a slave, and he slays a giant serpent slash dragon. Um, so, seems to be like that's kind of where okay. they were getting the motifs. Pretty, pretty strong parallels there, yeah. Um, and also, like you know, with with the music, I feel like there was definitely an operatic vibe to the music. Yeah, definitely. I uh, like the music. Definitely sounded very familiar, just with those other sword and sorcery films we watched. Like mm-hmm. it's a very much of that, of that kind of. Of that kind of vibe, I Except guess. Except that this one was um, a pretty but, spectacular but, but yeah, score. This was, but yeah, this was a really good score. Um, I, 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 there were a few points where I felt like in some of the fight sequences, there it didn't feel like there was quite as much like sort of symmetry and bouncing off of each other between like the cinematography and the scores there could have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, yeah, no, the score definitely, I think. Um, it, it really helps to kind of keep you sort of mired in this kind of like larger than life feel. And the movie has like a really, really epic feel to Very it. Like much, much, so. much more so than like the other sword and sword right. movies. Um, and probably if I were to say it, probably a little too epic for the story. Yeah. Well, and, and also another thing that, that does make for a, a strong similarity to opera is like, um, the kind of uh, especially like the the scenes involving like the the snake cult um like the 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 big scene where like all the followers gather on the steps mm-hmm. in front of Thosadun's mountain mm-hmm. um that that gave me a very strong opera vibe yeah, of just absolutely. like the you know the whole stage is just packed with so many different right. you know extras all of whom are you know doing different things and and they're as, about to sing <laughs> and 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 they're all, and they're all standing there and it's mostly kind of like ornate mental and about the spectacle of just all these different people who are here Absolutely. for this thing. So, um, so yeah, that definitely has a very operatic feel to it. Um, in fact, uh, Basil Polidorus's score is one of the most critically acclaimed things about this movie. Um, that 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 score has been used time and time again in a bunch of like different trailers and stuff because hmm. it's just it's so epic and very um, I guess versatile. Like yeah. whenever they're they want to do something that's that feels like epic, like on this scale, they'll put it in a trailer. Yeah, for sure. Um, so so you, we've probably you probably heard it in a bunch of different places yeah, actually. Probably um, something that was really interesting is actually he made extensive use of this um, software system called MuseSync which modifies the tempo of compositions and synchronizes them with the action of the film. This is the first film to use that system. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's a great score. In fact, what John Milius, uh, 
he he wanted to use Carmina Burana um, in the score, but then this other fantasy film, Excalibur, used it. So he asked Basil to like write something that was like Carmina Burana, and I think he pretty much accomplished it with like yeah. the, the Latin singers and all that. And, and I feel like I'm like I said, uh, I feel like this film is a little bit too epic. In fact, if I were to say like what is my greatest criticism of it as a film, like not even looking too deeply into the content of it, but I think that it is that the pacing of it is really deliberate. And I feel like if you had had the exact same movie, but shaved off like maybe 10 minutes of the running time and just tighten it all up then it would be a lot more enjoyable, I think. Yeah, I'm with you on the pacing. It, it felt languid at times. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think part of that is because, I mean, like, you know, again, we're kind of thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm partially thinking about this in the context of, like, this is the big fantasy sort of trendsetter prior, is, to, right. prior to Lord of the Rings. And so I feel like, you know, there's a lot of, there is a lot of, I guess you could say, like, quote-unquote dead air, and, and and like, while it's filled with, like, the scenery, like, I feel like in Lord of the Rings, at the least, even when that pace is more deliberate, a lot of that space is still being filled with, like, Story. Either, either some sort <laughs> of, either, either, like, fleshing out of the lore or fleshing out of the characters, yeah. and, and there's not as much of that to be had in this movie. It's just kind of like when it slows down, it's just kind of slowing down because we're in a cool desert and right. we're going to check it out. I mean, to to its credit, it is a very artsy movie. Like, yeah. some of those shots are are pretty awesome. Yeah. But but I just don't think that it helped the story. Like, in Lord of the Rings, like, when we get, like, shots of New Zealand, because New Zealand's a breathtaking country, so why not? Yeah. You know, those shots actually, you know, are, are pretty zippy, and they serve to tell the story. Like, they give you a good sense of location. Whereas in, in this movie, like, we're just watching shots just to for filler it feels like yeah, it's kind of the same way that it's used in blood rain like we get the epic shots but we're like why do we have these epic yeah. shots yeah exactly it's a little more disconnected right. a little more disjointed again it's like there's there's so much more competent direction going on at this that like the whole film ultimately feels pretty coherent right but um but yeah definitely a fair bit of uh, dead air here and there Let's go into the first of our GSV segments. This one's called Shot, 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 Shots. We're talking about the gratuitous violence in this movie. If you had to guess, how many deaths in this film? Hmm. How many deaths? How many deaths? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I'm gonna say. I'm going to say, like, somewhere between, I'm going to say somewhere between 40 and 50. Not bad. It's a little bit higher than that, though. A little bit higher, okay. 70. 70, okay. 70 deaths. Nice, There is a lot of, like, hacking and slashing in this film. For sure, for sure. Um, One of the criticisms that this film got when it first came out which it was it did get a lot of mixed reviews overall and one of the main criticisms was about the violence but interestingly enough it wasn't all saying that it was gratuitous there were two basic camps of it okay okay there were those who said that the violence was too much but then there were those who were saying that if you read the robert e howard stories 
they were way more violent than this, and mm. the film didn't go enough with the violence. And in <laughs> fact, they felt that the violence was too cartoony, not real enough for the su- for the subject matter. Yeah. What did you feel about the quality of the violence? Well, you know, I uh, for starters, again, in comparison to our other sword and sorcery entries, I was very appreciative of their budget investment yeah. in like blood splatter packs. Right. Um, I definitely had a lot of fun seeing a guy get hit by the sword and just getting some nice Gushing. healthy glops of blood <laughs> um so that was super fun mm-hmm. um you know the fighting you know choreography was you know a little bit in that kind of fun campy vein it you know again it's like you you can you can kind of see the seams of the stunt work a little right. bit um but uh but you know it, it wasn't you know, too badly shot. It was, you know, again, mostly competently framed, and mm-hmm. most of the time you can kind of see pretty clearly that the guy probably didn't get any damage, but then every now and then yeah. you get, you get like a nice swing and a nice spurt of blood. And that's, that's It was shot fun. the old school way, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. It wasn't like nowadays where you mask those cuts a little better, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, <laughs> I, I did find some of the Warhammer action to be a little silly, like during yeah. that first raid in the village there was a lot of people just getting bopped on the head yeah. with a hammer yeah, and I was the rubber like, the rubber hammer <laughs> so um so yeah overall i thought it was like eh, you know it, it was passable and and fun and, and is there like any scenes of memorable like violence that stood out to you or or deaths that stood out to you um i think like what, what were some good ones um i uh I, I did kind of like uh, Arnold sort of camping out and like, you know, during like the final holdout when when Thulsa Dune's men come after them mm-hmm. after they after they get out of the mountain. Um, I did kind of like his sort of first, like, I think five or whatever kills in a row, which mm-hmm. are just all guys <laughs> on horses, not right. realizing just that he's there down. piling up bodies right there. Um, uh yeah, again, like some of those horse stunts were really gnarly and it's clear that they didn't execute them particularly right. safely. Um uh and 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 also by the way, I say this as somebody who rode horses in the past too, so mm-hmm. like uh, yeah, not that great. Um but uh but yeah, um also I I did appreciate uh some uh, a little bit of bow and arrow action. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, I thought um uh what what was Subatai. So I thought Subatai's uh yeah, bow work was was fun to watch um and you know, again, a little a little hint of what's to come and as far as our our Legolas mm-hmm. uh you know. The uh uh, very early on in the film, like one of the shots that really resonates with me, I don't know why it does, or I don't know. I just feel like it's a really lovely shot, and it and it sets the tone with how the movie is going to be really artsy. And I, I kind of wish that the rest of the movie had more of this, actually. But I don't know. We'll see what you think. Like, was the scene actually where Thulsa Doom um, kills Conan's mom? Yeah. Uh, you know, I feel like that w- the way that you know. I guess he he hacks off her head, but we don't actually see it. We just see uh, Conan's reaction as uh, he lets go of the falling body with the hand. And I thought in slow motion, I thought that that was really well done. It kind of sticks out to me. Every time I see that, I was like, that's a really poignant death scene for Conan. I I, I liked that. I I really, 
I agree with you, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, that that was really well done. And it was kind of like, I, I was definitely kind of like a little bit on the edge of my seat in the beginning as far as like, am I really going to be into this? Are we just going to get <laughs> some more kind of low-grade schlock? Right. So I appreciate that they kind of did that and gave that scene that attention, both because I think it was well shot. And then the other part of that is that by, by giving that moment such emphasis, mm-hmm. it allows us to then... It allows us to stay invested in Conan's journey right. through the rest of the film. Um, I think that's the big thing that was missing from both of the other sort Absolutely. of films we saw yeah. is that like we we don't really have a compelling reason why we should give a shit about what the hero right. is doing. And so by you know investing that time in you know showing that raid in the village and and really just sort of you know making it integral to the fact that like we're seeing his story and we're we we you know it's not necessarily to say we always need to see the hero's childhood or the mm-hmm. traumatic inciting incident that right. that cast them onto their heroic path but we do but, need a reason to be on their side but yeah we need a reason to be on their side and 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 a reason to root for them so mm-hmm. like you know for better or for worse we get that in conan so yeah now you were mentioning the uh, the blood splatter the the fake blood that's used in the film uh, came in in a form of concentrate uh, which they had to mix with water prior to use. Now, in some of the films, due to the cold weather, when it was mixed with water, it ended up starting to freeze. So mm. what they did to get over that was that they started mixing it with vodka, sort of like an antifreeze. <laughs> oh, but wow. But what happened in those scenes is that the when the actors, they were supposed to spit up the blood, a lot of times they would swallow it instead and then go back to the special effects man for more. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Drinking funny. some blood vodka. Yeah, I guess I guess uh, some of those boo- some of those boozy Conan shoots out in the middle of the cold desert, and, you know. <laughs> um, in the scene where Conan is um, killing the snake, the first time that they go into the snake tower, those shots of the that Subatai, the arrows that he shoots into the snake right over Arnold's head are actual arrows. They're really? not. Yeah, they're not uh, stunt arrows, or they're actual arrows. And the director... That's a really fucking dangerous thing to do then, to have your actor be, like, in the field of fire. Like, that's... John Milius, the director, shot the arrows himself after it was determined that he was the best archer in the crew. (laughs) Wait, so it wasn't that they hired a professional archer. Right. It was that they determined that he was the best... (laughs) This movie is driving me crazy! Why are they so unsafe? Ugh. My God. Oh, that kills me. That kills me. And it almost killed Arnold, I'm sure. Um, he didn't seem very perturbed by it, but he was 33 at the time. I don't know. Um, toxic masculinity <laughs> for you. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger has called this film God's gift to his career. It pretty much established his model for most film roles. Icy, brawny, inexpressive, yet somehow endearing. Um, the <laughs> image of him with the barbarian became an enduring one in his career. In fact, uh, when he campaigned, you know, Arnold is a pretty staunch Republican. And when he campaigned for George H.W. Bush to be president, he was introduced as Conan the Republican, a moniker that stuck with him throughout his political career and was often repeated by the media during his term as governor of uh, California. Mm. Um, Schwarzenegger was aware of the benefits that the film brought him uh, and when he was governor, he displayed uh, his copy, or uh, I guess um, 
replica, his replica of the Atlantean sword from the movie in his office, occasionally flourishing the weapon at visitors and letting them play with it. And more than once during his speeches, he would spice it up by saying Conan's line, crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentations of their women. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, I have I have very mixed feelings. I mean, as far as Republicans go, <laughs> he's not the worst, to be mm-hmm. sure. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that that and 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 also because Arnold Schwarzenegger, by all accounts, does seem to be you know a very gracious person. Yeah, he seems to be nice and, for the most and, part, and, yeah. and 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 all that stuff. So so like I do appreciate that about him, and and the fact that he seems appreciative of you know fans and right. all that stuff. So like I think all of that is great. Playing up to the character. The, the, you know? the mixture of that with politics, very unsettling <laughs> for me. I just don't, I am not comfortable with that at all. So, there What you did go. you think about his, I know, again, we talk about how inexperienced he was, but what did you think about his performance um, in the film? Yeah, I mean, I think like the stoniness yeah, that that yeah, it was interesting you bring up the endearing quality mm-hmm. because there were like there were one or two moments where like he does kind of have this like smile on his face. Yeah. That is this very kind of like boyish oh, smile. Mm-hmm. Um and and some and I'm not sure necessarily how fitting that smile always was because I think like, you know, Conan I mean you know, I think the char- the character is meant to be a ground down character, and so I mean, I guess maybe that's part of the camp of it that, like, even in spite of like what a horrible upbringing he's had, that like you know he still he still gets a little glee out of the little things and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, um, I I think like yeah, Arnold definitely very fitting for the role, and I think that he he is like yeah he he has like physical presence down for right. sure. Um. And, uh, so, so yeah. And, and I think that like he, yeah, he, he gives it the gravitas that it needs and he definitely, he definitely has like a good command of like, for the most part, like what the tone of the scene needs and sort of like what quality to bring out. Cause mm-hmm. like I said, some of those, some of those smiles, I was like, Oh, he's a little, he's a little too chipper <laughs> for somebody who literally, you know, was enslaved right. for his whole life and then went into the blood pits after that. Like, so yeah, he doesn't seem to be like a tortured soul. Really. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's not that much tortured soul to him. And again, it's like, you know, it's a male power fantasy. So like, yeah, we want to see, we, you know, we, we want to see our hero having a good time. Well, I say we, but you know, the, the, the audience, the, the, the wish fulfillment seekers, yeah, the wish fulfillment <laughs> seekers for whom this film has been made. Right. Uh, want to see him have a good time? They want to have a good time too. So yeah, I think in that in that sense, he's a, he's a good match for that. And I do appreciate the, that the character yeah. of Conan. They did take care to at least like paint him as a a um, a gracious also person. I guess like the character himself, like not not just Schwarzenegger, but there are a lot of moments of like even though he is kind of stoic and quiet, there are quite a bit of moments of like tenderness and kindness that he displays every once in a while, you know? Yeah, a little bit. It's like, it's interesting because I think it's like... Like when they bring him the slave for him to to make love to, I mean, he they take yeah. off her clothes and he immediately covers her up. Like, yeah. you know? It's I a nice little touch there, even though what's little, happening is horrific. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> even though what's happening is horrific, um, for sure. Um, yeah, it, well, and I guess that's that's part of... 
what I guess kind of pulls me out of the characterization a little bit because again it's like you know the you know again the whole ethos of this movie seems to be that might makes right and Mm -hmm. stuff like that so like if you're gonna buy into that if you're gonna buy into that whole narrative that it's like you know hey here's this guy who like life ground him down and beat the humanity out of him but like guess what he's so fucking strong he's gonna kick he's going to kick that inhumanity right. back in its own teeth. Right. So like, if you're going to have that, then like it, it, there's no justification on a character basis for why he should have any graciousness or right. any, or any level of tenderness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so they don't necessarily do that good of a job of like justifying it with the exception of like, I think his relationship with Valeria where yeah. it's like, it is pretty they, tender where, where they do have like, they, they have like, you know, the, that aspect of like they they fought at each other's sides mm-hmm. and so it's like there is there is trust between them and and that trust builds and again they don't necessarily flesh that out as well as they could have right. to make that a part of how his character grows and develops so you know missed opportunities there yeah. and then the signs of tenderness that are there don't necessarily have any justification so yeah uh, now Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sandal Bergman who played Valeria. They actually did their own stunts because suitable body doubles could not be found. So a lot of those stunts were themselves. Now, moving on to Thulsa Doom and his character, Sean Connery was originally considered for the role of Thulsa. When they couldn't get him, James Earl Jones was a last-minute addition to the cast because he had some commitments on Broadway. So he came in last minute, fulfilled the role. He and Arnold Schwarzenegger actually became friends on set, and, uh, and Schwarzenegger helped Jones stay in physical shape, and Jones coached Schwarzenegger on acting. Oh, that's fun. Mm-hmm. That's cute. Yeah. I like that. That's a great pairing. I like that. Well, James Earl Jones and Arnold Schwarzenegger as workout and, and, and acting buddies. Right. That's super cute. I really like that. Uh, and, I, <laughs> and again, I think that uh, the scenes with Thulsa are probably my favorite scenes in the movie. I think James Earl Jones, like you said, he really does have a commanding presence. And his yeah. use of the language, like the things that he's saying... I mean, again, it's a B movie, so a lot of the dialogue is pretty ridiculous. Yeah. But he really does find a nice tone yeah. to the dialogue. And and even in his first scene where he doesn't have any dialogue, like again, like he just he 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 just has that like arresting sort of hypnotizing glare and it just and it again, it just it it completely gives that whole scene like the mm-hmm. focus and the sort of eeriness he uses that his it eyes needs. very well so, throughout the movie yeah actually. yeah um i mean sure, for sure a lot of contacts going on too but like yeah like james earl jones just fucking fucking killing it on all cylinders mm-hmm. so uh at around an hour 30 minutes we have Thulsa doom's on-screen transformation into a giant snake this is the most elaborate special effect in the film it involved fake body parts, live and dummy snakes, miniatures, other camera tricks combined with uh, the flowing sequence, uh, in, combined into a flowing sequence with a lap dissolve. Um, so after James Earl Jones was filmed in the position, what they did was they replaced him with a hollow framework with a robber mask that was pushed from behind to yeah. uh, give the snake head shape appearance, the illusion of the facial bones changing. And then with another like swift and uh, cut there, 
the head is replaced with a six-foot mechanical snake. And as it moves outwards, we see a crew member pressing on... Well, we don't see the crew member, but a crew member presses a foot pedal to collapse the framework. And then for the final sequence, what the way they shot it is they actually had a real snake on a miniature set. Um, What did you think about that sequence? I thought that was a cool sequence. Um, Certainly, I I could sort of... You know, I, I saw some of the you know, the seams of the effects. Like it was, it was clear that, uh, you know, there, there was a swap out between, uh, really seeing James Earl Jones's face and then seeing the face that started more, but, but it was a pretty unsettling transformation. And again, they, you know, they, they, they took their time with it. It was an interesting effect. Um, I, I struggle to say how, like, how much it, helped as a whole because what does like, it have to do with the movie that's what i think too like well, it's yeah. a cool effect but what does it have to do with the story because the next time we see him he's a man again well yeah exactly like we we never get a payoff for the fact that he has the ability to transform right. into a snake and also like Thulsa doom seems to clearly have some command of magic but also i was kind of hoping maybe for like a questioning of like how powerful he actually is like the idea that maybe him being a thousand years old is like a myth or a mm. lie or like maybe it's just like you know a a a, a line Which of I kind of get a sense like we that. never get a definite answer but, but I mean he he's a deceiver like you pointed out so well, like, exactly you know. like that's a thing is like again like if you're gonna have this head of a cult then like you know I think that you you have you know there's room to play around with the idea that maybe you know it is all just like tricks and misdirection right. so um yeah to have a, a whole sequence where he just transforms into a snake without then culminating in like you know a fight because again like our you know Conan fights a snake in the movie so like why not I don't know yeah and again, because like it's it's important to have him kill Thulsa Dune in that moment that he kills him in mm-hmm. front of his flock, but like, but yeah, I and, don't know. And there, it, it felt like it didn't pay itself off. And the scene when they first capture Conan and they're beating him up, and this is actually one of my favorite scenes. I, we mentioned it a little bit a while ago when he, when uh, when Thulsa Dune is talking about the riddle of steel, right? Yeah. Um, and he also, but bringing it to what you're saying, like he bring he he mentions that that the thing that that bothers him the most is that Arnold or that Conan killed his pets, which were the snakes. But then he himself can transform into a snake. So like how does that relationship work? Is he is it like a is he a pet are or they, are yeah, they, are they a know? fellow yeah, I'm not sure. Not really sure about that. But that scene, the uh the scene where he talks about flesh being more powerful than steel is a great scene. Um because I, I feel like his dialogue is really chilling, kind of in that. Yeah. And then he he um, when he commands commands the, the priestess to to like he said, "Come here, my challenge." Without hesitating, she falls to her death. Yeah, yeah. It's a really chilling scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a really chilling scene. Uh, I, I, I want I want to discuss that aspect a little more in in, in another segment mm-hmm. but um so but we'll yeah. hold off on that yeah. but the interesting thing about that stunt uh, it's actually a uh, stunt woman carrie jo- jantz who uh performed it and it set a free fall record because she fell from 182 feet wow yeah damn so that's was, wild is it Pretty cool stunt, actually. Yeah. Chilling, but yeah, when you think about it, it's oh, like, yeah, damn, sure. like, that's Absolutely. a pretty cool stunt. Yeah. 
Um, speaking of stunt, my last little note here in the violence segment is about stunt coordinator Terry Leonard. Now, he was so gung-ho performing one of his stunts that he broke his leg doing a fall. Now, according to Arnold Schwarzenegger, he joked that Leonard was just trying to impress Sandal Bergman. And sure enough, after the film end wrapped up, the two of them started dating. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Let's go into the next GSV segment. This one's called Boob Tube. We're talking about the gratuitous nudity and sex, of which there is quite a bit. In yes, this movie. very much so. Yeah, but we're we're right on form there in terms of the uh, <laughs> yeah this this whole Scantily genre clad. And, yeah, it is. not as much as the Deathstalker and. And Warrior and the Sorceress, yeah. though. One, and, and when we were talking about those movies, there's a fair amount of overlap between, like, the, you know, the the, the boob tube section and the problematic section, right. for sure. I don't feel like there's as much overlap, save for, like, the sequence where he's first brought a, a slave for the right. breeding stock. Which, breeding stock. <laughs> which is, which is very be, troubling. But to be fair, they are referring, I think that they're referring to both of them as breeding stock. Well, yes, true. <laughs> yes. Not not that much better, though. Right. Um, you know. But, uh, but yeah, no. I mean, there's, there, there is a lot of gratuitous sex. Uh, again, it's like just... It, Again, it all feeds into the male power fantasy, mm-hmm. and it all feeds into like you know the it just the fact that like literally every single woman in this film is a is a young conventionally beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. So like absolutely, uh, yeah, and um, so yeah, it's definitely it's definitely providing a fair amount of like quote unquote I can like even 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 Conan's mother is like very young and very attractive right, right. like in that sequence. Um, right. in, in fairly stark contrast to his father, who is older and grizzled and yeah. whatnot. So um, he looks like a Game of Thrones character. Yeah, much, very much more so. King of like Rules. a waddling. Yeah. Um, but uh, so yeah, like uh, there's a lot of it. Um, I I was feeling a lot of uh, confusion around everything that was going on in that sequence where he happens upon the witch's hut. Uh, the witch. Um, uh, something that I picked out before we go on, because I, I do want to talk about the witch, but but kind of like to lead into that, what's interesting to me is other than the, the slave girl, because we really only have... Uh, Conan is involved in three sex scenes. We yes. do have sex with the orgy with the, the cultists later on. Yes, we do. But, yeah. but Conan himself is only involved in three. Yeah. And apart from the slave girl, in the other two circumstances, it pretty much is, like, initiated by the female character. Yeah, yeah, I think for sure. Which is interesting or, or, to me. Or the, yeah, or at the very least, much more clearly mutually consensual. Right. Than, because, yeah, there's there's a huge consent problem with most of the sex in the right. previous two movies. Right, um, but, but, but going to The Witch specifically... Like she, she says that there's a price for this information, and the price and, is a sexual price. Yes, yeah, definitely. Well, and also because like I, I was missing some of what she was saying as they were having sex, because it sounded like she was sending him to the next thing. Right, she was also, giving him the information, but then also she was transforming, and then he threw her into the fire. Right, like so that was a very it was odd, really weird. Yeah. yeah, it was a very odd beat. Um, I I kind of appreciated it because like again I was sort of like oh boy they're really laying it on 
on thick with all the <laughs> random, you know, opportunities for nudity and sex mm-hmm. in this movie. But um, I actually appreciated that, like, they kind of... Um, <laughs> kill the vibe, I guess, for lack right. of a better word, yeah. by then having that transformation happen. And so, yeah, there was something very kind of eerie and unsettling about how all that played out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, sort of like attacking him. Yeah. And kind of a foreshadowing to how the spirits later on attack him when he's on like death's door, I yeah. think. Ooh, yeah. That, uh, I don't know if that would have fit into the special effects or into the violence category, mm-hmm. but I do have to say that. That sequence of of uh, the the gods trying to take him, mm-hmm. like all the animation effects right. that they did for that, were really cool, and I really really liked. That. Initially, actually, the special effects for that were supposed to be closer to how the ghosts effects were done in Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh-huh. but the, the Dino De Laurentiis, the producer, and John Milius, the director, they both thought that it was way too close to Raiders because Raiders had just come out the, the year previous. Mm. So they decided to do more like traditional cell animation over the film. Um, and actually, yeah, I, I agree. I think that it's pretty effective. It's yeah, really cool. I, yeah, I thought, I thought that was a really cool sequence and was really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I mean, like, I, yeah, I, I don't think that the, the dots were connected as well as, as, as possible. But going back to the whole like the religious undertones of the film and how it's there's a lot of like death and resurrection in the movie. Like I, I really feel like, you know, it's Conan kind of battling the the spirits of evil in a way, but um Yeah. But again, there's not really like with the witch, there's not I, I want I would have loved to have seen like a bigger connection between that and then the spirits later on. Yeah, that's yeah, that whole sequence seems to kind of not have that much justification it's just exposition yeah it's mainly exposition and 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 very little at that like you know we we could have we could have had him you know we could have missed most of that i think not that that didn't really yeah inform us of anything that new um other than just he's a free man now and Looking for love. Right. Um, in all the wrong places. In all the wrong places. Yeah. Um, then the, I mean, the witch, I th- I would say, is probably the second biggest female role in the film, unfortunately. Yeah. But um, really, our main female character is Valeria, played by Sandal Bergman. Now, she was a professional dancer um, who had a few previous film roles, in, and they were mostly in dance-related films. She was recommended for the role by director Bob Fosse, who worked with her in All That Jazz. Oh, that's cool. Um, I actually do enjoy the character of Valeria a lot, especially when you compare it to like a similar character in Deathstalker. Yes. Um, like, the character of Valeria is is a really strong, badass woman, at least from like a strength perspective <laughs> yeah no i mean i i appreciate that she holds her own and that um and and like i said like i think you know her first appearance she she outstrips um she's definitely the smartest one of yeah the three. yeah she's definitely the smartest one in the crew and and, and they and have no problem the most, following her uh yeah yeah absolutely um again i think where where i run into you know just the the broader problem is that again it's this whole like gravitational pull of everything revolving around Conan. So mm-hmm. like pretty much as soon as Conan enters the scene, her she her has no arc, she has no arc except as it ties to him. Yeah, exactly. And and everything about her motivations are simply about her feelings for him and stuff like that. Kind of at the drop of a hat. So like you know again for you know someone as capable like I think both like you know both of Conan's sidekicks 
you know, pretty much they're they're kind of they're the kind of yeah there yeah. could have been more opportunity to give them all you know their Round own their own personal reason for for doing the the things they do. I mean, and, I agree. I mean, you already ha- you have a movie that's like two hours over two hours two hours six minutes I think is the the movie, and you know like I like we were saying like there seems to be a lot of space in this movie because it's yeah. the pacing is kind of languid. You could have really packed more character story into it, really. I think. I think. Yeah, um, sure. But I do think that Sandal Bergman's performance was really good as Valeria. I do think. Yeah, that. no, it's a good performance. Um, yeah, she 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 definitely has like very imposing presence. Um, you know. In fact, she won yeah. a Golden Globe for her performance. Rock on. Yeah. yeah, no, I I think yeah, I thought she did very well, and 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 yeah, because she has gravitas, and mm-hmm. and I think that that definitely fits in with the world very mm-hmm. well. So. Now, neither she or Arnold had ever done a love scene before they filmed their love scene. Okay. So they both uh, uh, have recounted how they felt really awkward about doing one together. But I actually kind of liked the love scene. Again, com- c- we have to compare it to the schlockier films that we've seen. And this movie is schlocky. But... Like we're talking about, like in the Deathstalker movie, which I think is the the best comparison between this and that. Yeah. So Deathstalker, besides being a boob man, as we both know, um, all of his love scenes are very rapey, right? Yeah. Though no, they're like, yeah, the the consent is is questionable at best mm-hmm. in in most all of the instances where he has sex in that movie. But and... uh, but this love scene between them is actually kind of romantic. And yeah. Yeah, I one hundred percent agree with that. Um, yeah, no, and and again, I think like while there is certainly, you know, there is it. I think a, a fair amount of it is gratuitous in the sense that like it mostly seems to be about mainly giving us opportunities to see more of the female form right. and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you know, it, it, again, it doesn't go to quite the extent of Deathstalker, right. and and you know, it, it doesn't quite fall over as much into that sort of soft. Vibe and we I do think. see a lot of Arnold body too. We do, yeah. We, yeah, we see mostly Arnold <laughs> body. I would say in this movie. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. The, I mean, we'll slice of that beefcake. He was. Sure. I mean, he was a he was a sexy man. I gotta yeah. look. He had, he had a fucking bod. Look, let's let's be real. He had just come off from from uh, uh, doing the the Mister uh, Mister Universe uh, bodybuilding right. thing. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and it was really interesting because he couldn't actually. He was so built up that he couldn't actually swing the sword effectively so he had to lose some weight he was uh two he was at 240 and for this film he slimmed down to 210 damn yeah and he still looked imposing as fuck yeah that's huge he's huge he's i can't huge. believe that's just 210 Good right lord uh yeah that's uh isn't that like the same weight that that uh, donald trump claims to be <laughs> maybe i'm not sure <laughs> yeah it's definitely he doesn't weigh 210 um now despite his use and perceived overuse of the damsel in distress trope in the Conan stories, Robert E. Howard held feminist views. He was interested in the achievements and capabilities of women, and this seems to have influenced his creation of a number of strong female characters, such as Conan's love interest, um, Valeria, and another character uh, called Belit. Um, But as far as it relates to the film itself, while Valeria is considered overall a strong female character... A lot of critics have seen her as a traditional male warrior buddy who just happens to be in a sexy female body. 
She's eye candy, overly sexualized, and they point to the film's promotional artwork, which represents Conan as the dominant sword-wielding hero and Valeria squatting in a leather bodysuit. Some have even claimed that the film is part of a backlash against the feminism of the 70s and when the 80s we saw a return to wanting to celebrate um, masculinity so a lot of people see this as part of that trend to like move away from outright feminism yeah. what do you think about all, all of that well i mean you know again if we're talking about like you know stories that you know have their origins in the 1930s mm-hmm. then yes in a relative sense um you know evoking the warrior woman you know trope can be seen as pretty progressive right for the time right um i think uh yeah it's it's kind of fair i think it is pretty fair criticism to um to to consider i think valeria's character as a little reductive in terms of that she basically seems to you know just fight alongside the boys but then to also be you know a little maybe over sexualized Mm -hmm. as well um i think that you know, it's just like uh, what 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 I think part of why I buy that argument is, again, because like it's not necessarily to say that women don't have sexual needs and desires. Right. They absolutely do. Mm-hmm. The problem is just that like sh- we don't have any sense of agency, really, for Valeria. Yeah, like, Nothing, not beyond just simply everything. What's her personal Conan story? And, and like, know? yeah, there's there's no sense of a personal story. Right. Um so yeah, I think like yeah, we, I, we I even so. get a little bit more from from Subutai actually about his personal story. Yeah, because when we meet him, like it's not much, but when we meet him, he kind of fills us it in. It's like yeah, I'm I'm here to be wolf meat or something like that, or dinner for wolves. Like yeah. we actually get like a little bit of a sense, and he says that I was a thief and an archer, and then Arnold, you know, and then he talks about his god. He says I worship this god. So we get a little more rounding out of his character that we yeah. really don't get from Valeria. Yeah, no, we really don't, not mm-hmm. at all. So. So yeah, I, I I would be loath to call this film feminist by any right. stretch of the imagination. Right. Absolutely, absolutely not. Um, On that note, let's go into the next segment. This mm-hmm. is called uh, "That's Problematic." Yeah, and one, and I guess I would start again. I I think a lot of this a lot of this discussion is is kind of you know touching back on the previous films, uh-huh. which I think. You know, in spite of being made later and and trying to follow up on Conan's success, mm-hmm. seemed to fall into worse problematic absolutely, pitfalls. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, because I think that I see a lot of similar elements in this film as far as like um, the disposability of women mm-hmm. and um, the fact that they're clearly again they're 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 painting a whole a whole world within which we can have a great big male power fantasy. Mm -hmm. And so, like, again, just the fact that, like, every single woman in this world is young and conventionally attractive. And um, so I think that where this film doesn't stumble quite as far as the other films is the fact that most of the wanton violence against women in this film is happening within the confines of the snake cult. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think that, you know, they're, they're specifically, you know, telling a story about the, the, the influence that they wield and the fact that, you know, the people who are caught within the cult's grip 
are victims of it. Um, and, and mostly that plays out as women, but again, you know, they're still kind of trying to have their cake and eat it too, because again, these are still just, you know, young nubile women who, you know, are in varying states of undress and, you know, are all in their orgies. And so you, you still get those shots of Arnold Schwarzenegger gawking at the orgy in the, in the mountain and stuff like that, even though again, paradise. Yeah. So this is paradise and all that. So as they eat human flesh, um, I'm not, yeah, that, that human flesh thing. Do you think that the princess, we haven't talked about the princess. I guess the princess is another female character, but she's kind of like relegated to the sidelines. But do you think that she was in the cult of her own volition? I, I wish I knew. I, I honestly wish I knew. I think that was another one of the things that frustrated me about mm-hmm. the movie was just that like, for starters, we get so little info about, like, what the deal with the princess is right, beyond, yeah. like, the king explaining that she went off to find herself. And, and like, it, and it's clear that she is so deep in the clutches of the cult because of the fact that she's protesting so strongly. Um, so, like, it's a, it's a slight, it's like a slight deviation from the damsel in distress mm-hmm. thing because it seems that she is, you know... She's got a bit of a Stockholm syndrome thing going right. on, um, so I think that's an that's an interesting choice. And but it's one, not fully explored. Yeah, they don't really. Tulsa fully... tries to kill her, and she's like, "Don't kill me, father." But then we don't really get an emotional resolution from that. Yeah, that's a thing, and 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 you know the fact that the film seems to think it's not worth it to. Uh, to to show a little more of what that emotional journey was, I think says a lot about yeah. the, the the how how cherished women's stories are mm-hmm. in the film as a whole. Right. Um, and then obviously, you know, we already touched on it before, but like you know, the the rape of the of the of the breeding stock, right. uh, You know, at the beginning, and you know, again, it's like you know the fact that Conan is is a slave in that scene. So in a way he's being raped too. Yeah. He's, they're both um, being but, but like, again, it's, it's all male power fantasy. So mm-hmm. it's very clear that like, because they brought her to him as a, as a, they brought as her a, to a, him reward. Yeah. They brought her to him as a reward. He does the little token act of chivalry mm-hmm. before, you know, Taking it off again. Before taking it off again and assaulting her. He could have sat her down and read some poetry that he was reading to her, you know? (laughs) Could have. Could have, I suppose. And then you have everyone just gawking, just watching. Yeah. So, so yeah, that scene, again, it's, it just, it just is so uncomfortable because it's, it's, again, a clear example of, like, having the cake and eating it, too, because, like, um... Yeah, it's it's all it's all kind of feeding into like, oh, he is he he is he he is suffering and 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 this is all that he knows. But, you know, he also gets the good things, too. So and 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 again, that's the thing. The women are all disposable good things that he gets to sample because he's suffered so hard in Mm -hmm. life. So, um, yeah, like, again, the closest thing resembling a female character in this movie is one whose whole world revolves around him and is able to fight like the boys, too. So, yeah, uh, plenty of problematic stuff. Um, Apart from, like, all of that, I wanted to talk about the themology of the film. I know that I started out the podcast, like, by, by saying to pay close attention to the themes of the film and we haven't talked about it because I was reserving it for this section. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I, 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 
I do have some thoughts, but and I'm curious to see if, if this is what we were going at. So, so, um, yeah. so I'm going to give you just a little bit of context first before getting to the to the heart of the matter. Yeah. So Conan as a character, uh, originally Robert E. Howard's creation, Conan. Okay. Um, and 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 just to, and just to like give you a little like uh, context for Robert E. Howard himself, like he he was a shy person, lived with his mom in, in Texas, wrote all these stories. He never really had like any romantic relationships. He only had like one, I think, that that we know of for sure that he dated. Um, and he was really afraid of growing old. So he wrote all these stories about perpetually young uh, heroes. All of his heroes like follow the same basic tropes. And for like foreseeably, like they are characters that grew up to be old, but we never see them as old men. They're yeah. always like per- perpetually young and virile and, and, uh, and heroic. And, and Robert E. Howard was so afraid of growing old that he ended up, uh, killing himself at the age of 30. So he didn't grow old. Um, and I think that that influenced a lot of the philosophy that he puts in his own work. Now, he includes a fair amount of existentialism, despite the the fact that the, the stories exist before that term was really coined. But... Um, Conan kind of displays like a lot of these qualities. He defines his own purpose, shapes his own destiny. Um, he does not come from a noble destiny in contrast to much of other fantasy fiction. He's not a noble birth. He's not fulfilling any prophecy. He's not a chosen one. So when Conan ultimately becomes a king, he's, it's not a preordained thing. It's not done by fate. You know, he's not a legitimate heir. He seizes the opportunity. He makes his own man. He's a self-determined man. So that kind of leads to individualism. And individualism um, was very hev- uh, heavily influences a different political movement, which I'm going to get to here in a second. But first, I'm going to read to you what Robert E. Howard wrote himself on the subject. He says, and I quote, I'd rather be a naked, savage, shivering, starving, freezing, hunted by wild beasts and enemies, but free to come and go with the range of the earth to roam than the fattest, richest, most bedecked slave in a golden palace with the crustal fountains, silken divans, and ivory-bosomed dancing girls of Harun al-Rashid. That's his whole quote. He was a great writer. Um, Individualism, uh, especially at this time in the early 80s, really factored in to the political ideology of Reaganism. The theme of individualism is strongly associated with his speeches. Uh, Other associations uh, between this film and the themes of this film and Reaganism have been claimed. For example, film writer Dr. Dave Saunders views the film as one where Conan stands for the American hero and Falsa Doom stands for the evil oppressors, the Soviet Union. Academics like uh, Douglas Kellner and Michael Ryan view the film as one where Conan stands for the American individual and Thulsa Doom stands for an overly domineering federal government. Now, um, another aspect of this individualism um, themeology that runs through this film, and it runs through a lot sort of sort of sorcery films, is that there is a connection between individualism and authoritarianism, specifically in the form of fascism. Uh, We started out the film 
with a quote from Friedrich Nietzsche. I was going to say, I was wondering when that (laughs) quote was going to pop up because, like, that's... I mean, that is the film in a nutshell, is like this, I mean, you know, I think, you know, the idea of what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, like, you know, I I get that as sort of like a a motivational framework, Mm -hmm. but also at the same time, it's, it it very much sort of, um, but, but, but yeah, it also very much does, does uh, prop up you know this this idea of individualism at all costs mm-hmm. and that the only thing that matters is yourself right. and your ability to conquer and and overcome all things in your way and and there's there is no sense of 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 the idea of fighting for a collective whole right, and, absolutely. And, and all of that stuff absolutely in f- and, and another way that the movie kind of like turns the dial from the original intent of having an existential hero towards fascism is the casting of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, I'm not sure how much of this, again, was on purpose because Oliver Stone is a pretty leftist guy. So I, I don't think that, I don't know, maybe he did do it as as a, you know, as for fun because he's a writer. Why not? He probably did it. I don't know. I, I don't know his motivations, but it's like weird that he would put so much of this through line in it. And he didn't foresee that they were going to cast a German guy to be Conan because originally in the stories, um, Robert E. Howard, his, his family is from Irish descent. Yeah. So Conan is coded as a Celtic warrior. Well, and yeah, and there's, there's very sort of Stonehenge-esque, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, architecture throughout the mm-hmm. film as well so like yeah there's there's certainly a sort of a, a mix of like celtic norse mm-hmm. like you know right uh yeah yeah well, sort of a weird blend of like celtic nordic yeah sort of cultural but, signifiers but there. specifically yeah. by casting arnold schwarzenegger you're giving it sort of like an aryan feel to it yeah and in fact like the way that that struck me the most is the whole white man triumphing over a black man thing about it and how the white man, the Aryan man hacks off the black man's head. And that struck me as like very fascist in its imagery. What did you think? What do you think about that? Did you catch yeah. any of those over undertones in the? Yeah, I mean, certainly the the individualism thing is something that I didn't quite jive with, and and again because I kind even of, the whole thing of flesh having more power is a really fascist ideology. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, and 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 also just because, like, again, like coming at it from you know the the idea of the male power fantasy which i don't necessarily think is an apolitical power fantasy either i think it's it 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 it, because that i think you know feeds into this like you know this idea of like why so many people in this country are so staunchly second amendment because there's this idea that like you know there's 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 no idea you know there's no concept of like you know, trusting in the institutions right. and and your communities to right. sort of all band together to keep each other safe and support each other. No, I got to look out for me and mine. So mm-hmm. I want to stockpile guns in mm-hmm. my house instead. So, um, so yeah, I I definitely kind of caught on to that political bent, uh, especially through that just kind of like male domination, um, you know, lens. Um, as far as like the 
as far as like taking it all the way into the Reaganism thing, I think that uh, I I think that that you know certainly you know while I knew that this film you know was you know of the eighties and whatnot, so it would have definitely been in the midst of the Cold War. I wasn't necessarily as cognizant of the fact that we were watching something of the Reagan era per mm-hmm. se. So um so so that so specifically evoking that political moment in America hadn't quite come up to me. Um I think like the the uh yeah, I I kind of go back and forth on the on what you say about like the imagery of like Aryan man, you know, overcoming a black man who is in charge of the, you know, the, the quote unquote evil organization of the film. Because like on the one hand, like for me, like I think that that whole snake cult thing does at the same time kind of, you know, evokes more of a, you know, it evokes more of a of like a, a a religious institution that that overextends its power mm-hmm. to the point that like even the quote unquote legitimate governments mm-hmm. don't have any sway over them right. because like you have you have the king that brings in this band of thieves to to congratulate them and yeah. pay them huge sums of money because they're the only ones that can stand up right. to this cult. So again, like I think that. Yeah, the, you can you can kind of place that in the Cold War mentality that the, there's right. this idea that like rugged individualism is the only thing that's going to stand up to a mass, um, I guess you could say like existential threat, um, whether it be you know religion or whether it mm-hmm. be I guess the specter of communism. But there is um, the, and, and, there and, and, is and, the fascist fantasy that you know yeah. that like they like a, a fascist individual or or uh, that that type of individualism is a very much a standing against an evil institution kind of idea. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, yeah. And, and, and the deep and state, for when, example. Well, yeah. One, it's tricky because again, like, you know, I, I, I do think that like, yeah, there, there is because like, you know, in order for fascism to thrive, um, it, it, it does ultimately have to, you know, seize the tools of state and mm-hmm. to become the institutions right. and to control the institutions, right. though it usually does assume power by kind of, you know, by, by, uh, embracing populism and, 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 uh, usually, you know, racially, you know, racially, uh, violent mm-hmm. populism at mm-hmm. that. Um, one thing I will say did not slip my notice that I think does kind of feed back into this image is the fact that like the first time, uh, Arnold, uh, the first time Conan, uh, crosses paths with like a group of, um, a group of people who are kind of going to sort mm-hmm. of follow, follow Thulsa Dune's cult, um, the, you know, it, he encounters them in like a field of flowers right. and they all do seem to have uh, a bit of a sort of hippie flower right. child Absolutely. aesthetic. So he, I, and, he, I, and he gets flowers to infiltrate and he get yeah. And he gets flowers to infiltrate them. So, so I am definitely sort of like seeing how the film is kind of like taking a bit of a pot shot at like, you know, at at the at the you know the aesthetic at the aesthetic quality of like you know anti-war mm-hmm. you know non-violent peaceful protesters right. and stuff like that and and people who kind of are you know 
who 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 seem to embrace this this kind of peaceful loving ideology that is in fact propping up a you know a a, a system of control and whatnot. And there and, is there is an idea out there yeah. that uh, that liberalism is duping their followers and controlling them, controlling the yeah, media and the to, narrative, to, to, and, and, and to sweep everybody up right. in communism. And it's and almost like and that, and so. and a lot of conservatives or far right conservatives, I will say, like, you know, the ones that we associate with like fascism, um, they have this idea that uh, a lot of people are hip, almost like hypnotized by the liberal yeah. media. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think a lot of that is definitely present and, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely see that all being there mm-hmm. um, for sure. And, uh, and yeah, so that's the thing, is that like, again, while I think it's a more competently made film and a film that has more coherency throughout, um, you know, it, <laughs> it, it, it already kind of didn't appeal to me just on the fact that it was nothing more than male power fantasy. Right. Um, so, uh, so yeah, no, I think that those additional uh, observations about... Um, the philosophy behind the film. Um, again, I think just like starting with that Nietzsche quote, it, it kind of, it gives the game away as far right. as like, you know, this, this film's outlook on humanity. Yeah. And again, because I think it's, it's telling that the story had many opportunities to, to deepen, like just from a, a story and character basis, there were many opportunities to kind of deepen the character's story by, you know, having him maybe transition from being purely individualistic mm-hmm. to, you know, being able to rely on his friends yeah, or, uh, absolutely. you know, uh, uh, that would have been more satisfying, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. So, um, the power of flesh is the power of friendship. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like the fact that you can you can kind of turn that message back around mm-hmm. on the enemy. Like I think that that could have been a good opportunity. And uh, so the fact that they didn't says that they're more interested in big right. strong man being big strong man to the end because big strong man good. And yeah. Now there is an enduring urban legend uh, that. There was a so-called Conan the Barbarian toy line once upon a time. The story is that the Mattel toy company started to make some Conan action figures. But then when they saw the film, they realized that, hey, we we can't release these toys. This this is a really graphic movie with lots of gratuitous sex and violence. Like we can't yeah. we can't sell these to kids. So they gave their doll blonde hair and called him He-Man and thus created He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Now, the reason why this is an urban legend is because He-Man was actually released in 1981 and this film was released in 1982. So, by all accounts... The legend appears to be false. However, in 1984, now defunct toy company Remco did release officially licensed Conan the Barbarian action figures. And ironically enough, once the He-Man action figures became immensely popular, numerous knockoffs were produced, including a repainted He-Man figure that had brown hair to make it look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And the knockoff was sold through mom and pop dollar stores and packaged as the barbarian. Hmm. Funny. 
funny. But, I mean, I can kind of see where, because even though this movie was released in 82, uh, films take, you know, a year or two to be developed well, and, and filmed. Well, and also because, I mean, like, I don't know, like, uh, you know, I think discussions for merchandising tie-ins would have been happening during the production process. Right. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that... And as I it's mentioned before, Thulsa Doom in the stories is a skeleton figure. Yeah. And they did make Skeletor the enemy. They, and, you know, they, and he lives on Snake Mountain. Uh, you know, I mean, I gotta <laughs> say, uh, I, I gotta say, like, wake up, sheeple. Like, <laughs> you're being duped. Yo, you're being hypnotized. Yo, I'm, I'm a Conan truther. He-Man is Conan. <laughs> I'm a He-Man Conan truther. All right, final thoughts on that note. What did you think about Conan the Barbarian? Do you think it was a bad movie, a so-so movie, a good movie, a great movie? Where do you land? I'm going to give it a so-so. I'm going to give it a so-so because at the end of the day, it's still pretty schlocky. I think it's, you know, it... You know, like again, you know, we're kind of judging it on on the uh, you know on on this plane of existence of like the the genre and what it in right. you know what it inspires and whatnot. Um, I think like for me, it just the 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 drawn out pacing combined with that, I just think that like you know it could have it could have done more. It, it definitely could have done more. It could have done more, and it couldn't have been quite as fully embracing its, you know, more toxic tendencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so while I do think an excellent performance from James Earl Jones, um, not not enough to elevate it that much. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's... And, and also because I think that this genre ultimately is just not that not much Not your cup taste. of tea, yeah. Yeah, it's just not to my taste, too. So um, for me, it, 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 it sits in the so-so. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you do like fantasy, just not specifically like the heroic fantasy of these sword and sorcery films. Not so much, yeah. I mean, I think it's just like, you know, it, it's just... It, there's there's not much story to be had mm-hmm. there in these, it seems. It seems they're, they're much... They're, they are much more about... They're much more about like a very specific aesthetic. It seems like it's 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 all about just this kind of like desolate desert like sort of pseudo early early medieval kind of, you know, or or even like maybe somewhat pre-medieval vibe mm-hmm. that like um that's just very like yeah, just it just all feels very like Macho and mm-hmm. just full of, you know, full full of cool guy shit. Which like I like my cool guy shit. Don't get me wrong, but like it just, I don't know. It just feels all a little desolate, and like the 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 genre seems to be much more about. It seems to be much more about like yeah, just these kind of opportunities to play out the different meditations on these varying male power fantasies right. than it is about like kind of a, an engaging story and and like a lore that you know inspires like you know m- more more thought-provoking questions and implications it's not very thought-provoking yeah in fact it's, it's just kind of like this is the way it is kind of thing yeah that's a thing and 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 yeah it's a little, a little more nihilistic you know and, and I, very I don't nihilistic. like like i think i think there's a place for some nihilistic stories to be sure but um 
for me, just the fact that it is so much geared towards the power fantasy, the nihilism just kind of leaves a sour taste in my mouth. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so yeah, it's so-so for me. I do think it's a so-so movie, but I will say that I think it's so-so verging on good because there is a lot of potential in this movie. And and it's not, like when you compare it to the other films that we've seen in this genre, the other films are just complete trash. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and this film at least like has a really good like eye. Like I, a lot of those shots are, are really pretty. Artistically, yeah, great movie. Artistically, if you were just to like show me the images, I'd be like, yeah, that's damn good filmmaking. The music is uh, amazing, I think. Uh, the score is great. Um, there's a lot of potential that's not fulfilled, though. Uh, so that really takes gives it a beating. Um, it is very one note. The, the pace is just... It's just really slow, and, and there are exciting moments in the film, but I, I really just wish that they had trimmed it up, you know? I feel like yeah. that, could, that alone could have been like... I, I, I maybe could have forgiven it, a little more if it had been more entertaining, like more riveting. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Because yeah. I feel like the next movie, Conan, uh, Conan the Destroyer, even though it's a way schlockier movie as far as the quality of it, it's much more zippy and fun than this movie. This mm. movie takes itself way too seriously, which is another reason why I get these like really weird fascist vibes from it. It's like because it's, it, it it almost has like it a buys very into itself a religious much, you know? like, overtone. You know, it's like oh look at this movie, and you know, I, yeah, exactly. I, I that that's what rubs me the wrong way. Like the little details about like how. You know, it could have more better developed female characters. And all that. I, I completely agree with that. But again, those, that's a product of its time. But everything about it trying to, like, sell me on this idea that individualism conquers all. And, yeah, that's what really rubs me the wrong way about yeah. this movie, you know? Yeah. It's like, tone that down a little bit. Cut some of the movie out. Zip up the pacing. Uh, and make it more fun, you know? Yeah. And then I think that that would have bumped it up to like a solid good. As it is now, it is still overall an enjoyable experience for me. So I will say so, so verging on good. And also because, you know, it's Arnold's first movie and you do kind of get to see like where where his talent has like plenty of room for growth. Yeah, I, I definitely hear that. And and again, like I, I'm I'm definitely strong on my so so, but I think like it's got a terrific score. Um and 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 you know it's a much more coherent film mm -hmm. than these other right. know, knockoffs that we've seen. And 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 you know that's something that can be very easily taken for granted as uh, films like Blood Rain have shown. Right. So um so yeah, I think that like you know certainly certainly competently executed. It's just that I think yeah. No. So maybe maybe a better grade for me to to say would be it's so so wishing it was good i'm okay with that yeah i'm very okay with that <laughs> all right so we come to the end of another episode of gratuitous sex and violence ned thank you for watching conan the barbarian with me i'm just here for the lamentations of their women <laughs> and we hope you guys out there join us again for another exciting schlocky masterpiece until then you know, I don't care what they did to your father's sword. You don't have to get revenge. Just just go watch some movies. Get to the chopper. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotions. Just sex. Okay.
Just, I hope we're gonna have some gratuitous sex. 